You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the LightningInsider.com podcast. Eric Erlinson, once again, from Lightning Insider. Dot com with you coming to you after game number one of the Stanley Cup final Tampa Bay Lightning with a 5-1 victory over the Montreal Canadiens to take a 1-0 series lead in the best of seven series game two will be back on Wednesday at Amelie Arena that is an 8 p.m. start once again back on NBC Sportsnet for game number two Uh, A decisive outcome, decisive on the scoreboard at times, decisive on the ice, but we'll temper the expectations, but we'll talk about that here in a little bit. I want to get into sort of how this game transpired. First uh, first thing I want to address, because I know this is a, a question that a lot of people have had, and that involves the health of one Alex Kalorn. Alex Kalorn left the game. Early in the third period, he blocked a shot with his skate towards the end of the second period. He actually gave his stick up to Victor Hedman, who had broken his. And Kalorn uh, laid himself out to block a shot from Jeff Petrie, and it hit him on the boot of his skate. Uh, You could tell he was in some discomfort right away. He didn't look comfortable on the ice uh, came back for one shift in the third period, according to the uh, time on ice report. Uh, we'll have to wait and see, of course, as you know the drill. There was no update from John Cooper after the game. Um, have to wait and see. And, and here's here's my, I guess you could call it, concern regarding the situation with Kalorn because you see this a lot uh, in hockey that players will take a puck off their boot and what will happen is when it's it, it, when their foot's in the boot, it's fine. They have no issues. But once you take it off, it swells up. So I don't know if that was the case. I, I, I don't have anything other than what John Cooper was able to provide to us after the game. But my concern level would be centered around what did that foot look like when he took his boot off 
and uh, how, how much testing is going to be required of him uh, looking ahead to his possible availability for game number two on Wednesday. Does he need an x-ray? Does he need an MRI? My guess is he'll start with the x-ray and make sure that, you know, if there is damage in there, what's the extent of the damage and, and how much will he be able to play with it? I mean, we've seen players play with these type of injuries. I remember a year where Vinny LeCavalier uh, suffered uh, it took a, a skate or took a puck off his skate and played for like another week or two. And it just it just wasn't getting better. And that's when they found out later on that he had a, a micro fracture in his foot and he continued to play through it. And obviously they had to shut him down after that. So we've seen players go through this. We're so close to the end here in terms of the season with this being the Stanley Cup final. Alec Martinez from Vegas. He played almost the entire postseason with a broken foot. Again, it's just you're amazed sometimes at what you hear hockey players play through. So even if there is some issues in there, does not necessarily, depending on what they are, rule him out for the rest of this series or even even in a game. But again, we'll, we'll have a wait-and-see approach to that, the team um, you know, we'll, I, I would not expect an update tomorrow, but, you know, maybe we will, maybe we won't uh, in terms of on Tuesday, the off day between game number one and two. So we'll just get that news information out of the way. Now, in this game in particular, uh, again, it looked dominant in a lot of ways on the scoreboard. You end up with a 5-1 win. Uh, you get a goal with a minute 10 left in regulation, a power play goal from Steven Stamkos. You know, it kind of makes it look a little bit worse uh, than it was uh, if you're a Montreal fan looking at the uh, the end of the score. But there were stretches in this game where Tampa Bay held the puck inside Montreal's end for extended periods of time. And you don't want to judge too much on game one, as you know we should all know. The Islanders beat Tampa Bay in the first game of the semifinal round. And in, in this situation, because you're facing a team that you haven't faced this season, it's a little bit different in terms of how you feel them out to start a series as opposed to the first two rounds when you knew exactly who the Florida Panthers were, you knew exactly who the Carolina Hurricanes were, you had an idea of who the Islanders were, um, but you had to kind of be in it to understand it. And I think it's the same thing here uh, for Tampa Bay to understand Montreal and for Montreal to understand Tampa Bay, you kind of have to be in it first to get a feel for it. Um, But the fact that Tampa Bay was able to do that um, for stretches – you know, look, it's been, what, a year and a half almost since these two teams faced off against each other. Again, it's just so weird to me to sit here and say that these are teams in a normal situation that are division rivals, and here they are facing off in the Stanley Cup, but I digress from that. But there's there's a lot of familiarity, even though they haven't seen each other for a short period of time, uh, relatively speaking. Um, so they understood, you know, you know who Jeff Petrie is, you know who Shea Weber is, you know, you know who Corey Perry is and Eric Stahl and, you know, Arturi Lekin and all these players. Like, you're familiar with them. You just haven't seen them in a while. Uh, you know, Nick Suzuki's a different player. Cole Caulfield you haven't seen before. He's a little bit of a different look that Montreal uh, can bring at you. But there's enough familiarity to understand how you can play. 
Uh, and I think the Lightning found a way to pressure pressure Montreal. Montreal is, if you listen to the series preview podcast with myself and Greg Linelli, they're somewhat similar to the New York Islanders in how they want to force you into making mistakes by being patient and counterattacking. Um, similar to some of the games in the Islanders series, if, if you pressure the puck up the ice and you keep the pressure and you keep Montreal in their own end, you're going to have a better chance to come out with a favorable result because you're not going to give Montreal much. They're, they're still a team that struggles to score goals on a consistent basis. They've always, uh, in recent years, been a team that really relied on Carey Price to keep the game low scoring because they don't have a ton of scoring depth. Again, Caulfield changes that dynamic a little bit, and he had a really good opportunity early in this game where he found himself with some space because the, the D kind of backed off him a little bit. He found himself with some space in the high slot area above the circles, and he ripped a wrist shot past Andre Vasilevsky. So there, there's a different look there. But for the most part, Tampa Bay kept the puck deep in Montreal zone. There were a couple of times where they were actually able to shift, shift change, line change with the puck in the offensive zone. And that included in the second period when it's the long change. You know, when, when your zone is a little bit further away from the bench, the offensive zone. So uh, very impressive that they're able to do that. Montreal at times looked like they wanted to try and be physical because let's face it, they have a pretty good idea that they'll be able to get away with stuff and not be called for penalties. And it was kind of that way in this game because there were stretches where, you know, you had all these post-whistle situations. And, you know, I even said it, man, you've got the ripping of helmets is the new face wash in the NHL playoffs. And it's starting to get out of hand. We saw that a few times tonight in these post-whistle scrums. Anthony Sorelli had his helmet taken off. Yanni Gord had his helmet taken off. You know, and those are supposed to be automatic penalties. Usually that's during the run of play, as we saw in the series against Florida when Sam Bennett ripped off the helmet of David Savard in game six. So that's when it's an automatic penalty because the, the rule that's in place is if a player loses his helmet, he either has to immediately pick it up and put it back on or head back to the bench. So that's why that rule was put into place. But we saw that a number of times tonight, and they're just not going to call it. They're not going to call those things. And in a way, depending on your point of view, you're probably okay with that. But if, if you're going to allow teams to continue to do those things and not penalize them in any way shape or form at any point you're going to continue to get it and if you're Montreal if you think that that's the only way you can slow down the Tampa Bay Lightning and they're going to allow the referee the referees going to allow that to go on there's no uh, there's nothing to stop them from doing it you're not dissuaded from doing stuff like that because that's how they want to play they want to be physical they have a big decor. You know, Josh Anderson is a is a power forward. We saw that with his time in Columbus. You know, John Tortorella at one point in time compared Josh Anderson to Tom Wilson in the way that they wanted him to play. And at times tonight, 
he kind of was that way. You know, he's got some pretty good speed and he's got the size. You know, so they have some size up front and he can be a physical guy. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that, the, that that could be a mistake for Montreal to try and play that style against them because, let's face it, ever since really 2018 in particular, the game plan was always try and run the lighting out of the building. Try and hit them at every opportunity and they'll shy away from it. Now, this team ain't shying away from it. So if they want to continue to be physical, then I think you're going to find out that they're going to put Tampa Bay on the power play. And that brings up this thought. Stamco scores the power play goal with a minute 10 left. It's already a 4-1 game. In the grand scheme of things, that goal doesn't matter. But here's what I found a little interesting. They get a 5-on-3 just before the Stamkos goal, and they had five forwards on the ice, which is not unusual. It's not. We've seen Tampa Bay do this in the past. You had Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos. Andre Palat was out there because Alex Kalorn wasn't available, and he had Tyler Johnson. So we've seen that same sort of a setup on a five-on-three in the past. But I think by doing that, I think Tampa Bay wanted to poke a hole in this magical penalty kill run that Montreal has been on that was a big storyline coming into the series. Who had the advantage, Montreal's penalty kill or Tampa Bay's power play? Because Montreal had not allowed a power play goal since game number four against the Montreal or against the Toronto uh, Maple Leafs. So you're going back 6, 10, uh, 13 games. They had not allowed a power play goal in 13 games. Coming into tonight, I think they were 29 straight or 30 straight. They kill off one early in the game. They kill off the five on three. But you get the power play goal late. And I think that is... It's not a message-sending situation. I think in in some ways they wanted to make sure Montreal knew that they're going to pay because there was a a good two-handed slash that Nikita Kucherov took to the back of the legs from Shea Weber. So, you know, if you're going to continue to do that, we're going to do this to you. But I also think it was to add an element of doubt into Montreal's penalty kill. Because they feel really good about the way that they've killed penalties, and they should. What are they, 92%, I think, for the playoffs? They actually have scored more, or coming into tonight anyway, they had actually scored more shorthanded goals, four, than power play goals they have allowed, three, in the postseason coming into tonight. So I think that goal was to just maybe pop a little pin in that balloon and see where it goes. Because if Montreal wants to play a physical style of game, you would think that they're going to end up taking some power plays, some penalties to put Tampa Bay on the power play. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. Now, I did ask Steven Stamkos that exact question after the game. He turned it around on me. 
He said, no, I don't think it was that. I think we're trying to give ourselves some confidence on the power play. I think it's kind of the same thing. He just put it in a more positive spin to probably not put bulletin board material uh, up on the on the well the bulletin board in the the Montreal locker room uh, from that. Um, but I but I, I think that that's why that last goal to make it five one like there's the game is over. It's a minute ten to go. It's in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to do anything. To the game, the result uh, was already in hand, but I think that by doing that, it just it just sent a little message to Montreal that you better not do this because we will score on your power play or on your penalty kill. We will score. Uh, so I think that was important in that game. Uh, another interesting aspect of something to kind of keep an eye on as this series develops. Uh, the shutdown line with Philip Deneau at center, and Deneau has had a great postseason when it comes to defensive prowess. He really kept Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, and Matthews in particular, quiet in the first round. Uh, gave Winnipeg nothing in the four-game sweep in round two. Kept Vegas's top line completely in check. Frustrated Mark Stone in particular. You saw that at various times throughout that six-game series with the Golden Knights. I think the top six forwards for Vegas only had one, two goals in the series because Riley Smith had one in game six. And a lot of that is because of the play of Philip Deneau. Now, John Cooper, who is not really one to get too caught up in the matchup game because of the depth that he has, he did keep Braden Point's line away from Philip Deneau. And the Point Kucherov Palat goal. Uh, line was responsible for three of the goals tonight. Five on five play. The opening goal, which was scored by Eric Chernak on a net drive, he deflected a Andre Palat pass over the shoulder of Carey Price to open the scoring. Nikita Kucherov scored the first of his two goals. By just throwing a puck on net, and actually Ben Sherratt um, tried to glove it down. I think it actually ended up uh, going off of Sherratt's stick, ended up in the back of the net. So, you know, soccer terms, that's an own goal. Uh, and then the goal that made it 4-1 was off a face-off play. Braden Point wins it back to Kucherov. Kucherov uh, cuts over to the open area in the slot and puts a shot back across the green. Uh, that made it 4-1. Uh, so that line was on the ice today. They finished as a plus three uh, away from the Deneau line. And I would imagine that there's no reason to think that that's going to be different in game number two on Wednesday. But when the series does shift to Montreal and the Canadians get last line change, how that's going to affect things. Will it affect things? Like I said, John Cooper doesn't normally get too caught up in what matchup situations are going to be. He'll just roll with what he feels comfortable with. And a lot of times their matchup decisions are based on their defensive pairs against the other team's lines. So that's what they look for there. And then uh, the other thing I look for that really struck me, and I'm going to write I'm writing about this a little bit more on the website, so if you're listening to this in the morning, it's it's up and posted already. The Lightning defense tonight looked more active, jumping up on the plays, getting involved in the plays, than they have at 
really any other point here in this postseason. It's Look, it's a part of who they are. It's a part of their game plan. They want their D involved. They want their D up the ice. You know, you hear them say it, it's a five-man unit. But in the postseason, they've scaled that back a little bit. They want to take some of the risk out of their game. And by not pushing your D too far up, you're taking that some of that risk element out of your game. You don't get caught, you know, on odd man rushes the other way. I mean, think about it. Think about how many times in this playoffs have you seen the other team get a ton of odd man chances. Florida did it at, uh, for stretches early on in the playoffs. Uh, that was mainly due to turnovers more than anything else in the way that the Panthers want to, you know, push the pace going the other way. But for the most part, you haven't seen too much of that. And it's because they've taken, you know, they don't want the D getting as aggressive in the postseason. And look, you even saw it tonight. Uh, the Chernak, you know, uh, driving the net. A number of times we saw, you know, Eric Chernak do the switch off on the wall. He'll come down the wall and he switches off with a forward. Uh, we saw Victor Hedman do that a number of times. And you even saw when in the second period, and it was 2 nothing that they started feeling too good about their game. And this this can happen to Tampa Bay because they started feeling really good touching the puck and getting the D involved and cycling down low. And how many times we see Victor Hedman behind the, behind the net tonight? And that's when they got into trouble. That's when Montreal started to have a little push. And that led to their first goal, which was a, a fluky, lucky break shot from Sherratt is blocked by Anthony Sorelli. It ricochets to the far side of the ice and is going well wide of the net. Hits, I think, Ryan McDonough in the skate and ends up in the back of the net. So, um, you know, we, we talk about how you, you earn your own break sometimes, and that is certainly one way uh, that Montreal pushing the pace. They earned that break to make it a 2-1 game at the time. But a part of that was because the Lightning were feeling too good about their game and their D getting active. But it, it also can create some uh, chaos in the defensive zone. It's opportunities to pull the team out of their structure a little bit because they, they have to figure out now it's easier when you got the two D hanging back. You've got the forwards kind of rotating and trying to cycle and you can pinch off plays in that capacity. But when you get the D involved, now the coverage changes. Okay, who am I supposed to get? Am I supposed to be over here? Who's my man? Right? And, and that's what happens when you get the D involved. And it just looked and felt like Tampa Bay had a more concerted effort to make that happen tonight. So that's something to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, it's something we saw in particular in Game 5 against the Islanders, right? The 8 nothing game. Again, talking about making your own breaks by the way you play. That's how sort of game number five of the Islanders series went. So it was kind of the same way with what Montreal was doing uh, to create their breaks, but it's also because Tampa Bay was able to um, activate their defense, get their defense to move up the, you know, up the walls, up the ice, be a part of the rush a little bit. Not a lot, not a ton, but enough to make the right reads 
enough to understand when to go. And I think that created some problems for Montreal. They didn't expect that because Tampa Bay hasn't shown it a ton during the playoffs. They haven't. So when you give a team something else to look at on tape and then do something a little bit different in the game, uh, I think that's a big reason why Tampa Bay had a little bit of that advantage uh, here tonight in game number one. So again, we'll keep an eye on that moving forward. You know, we didn't talk much about Andre Vasilevsky tonight. It's five-one game. Nikita Kucherov two goals and an assist. Brayden Point three assists. Nikita Kucherov reaches the thirty-point mark again in the postseason. Brayden Point again adding to his totals. Steven Stamkos getting the power play goal. So we see all that. We don't talk about Andre Vasilevsky. And Vasilevsky made a couple of key saves. He stops Shea Weber on a breakaway. Brendan Gallagher had a partial breakaway. Josh Anderson had a good chance coming down the right wing side. And you could have made Andre Vasilevsky one of your stars of the game tonight. Uh, He wasn't because of some of the offensive output, but you could have. Uh, And again, it's another game where Andre Vasilevsky only lets in one goal. And if they're going to do that, if he's only going to let in one, you really have to like their chances. And again, Montreal is a team that historically struggles to score goals on a consistent basis. And that's why Tampa Bay is heavily favored in the series. Now, it doesn't mean that's the way the series is going to go. And, of course, I will caution you that this is just game one. You can't make too many rash judgments after game one because teams will adjust. Montreal will be better in game number two. They will make tweaks to what they want to do. And it'll be up for, you know, John Cooper and his staff to kind of counteract that a little bit. And then when we get to, the series gets to Montreal for game three on Friday, you will have Dominic Ducharme who will be back behind the bench. Remember, he's been in COVID protocol. He will be cleared and ready to get behind the Montreal bench for game number three. So how does that change the dynamic of this series? And he's heavily involved. Don't get me wrong. He's talking to the coaching staff, you know, constantly. You know, so we'll keep that in mind. And I know this question came up a lot as well because Joel Armia did not play in tonight's game. Remember, he was placed in COVID protocols on Sunday because he had a positive test result comeback. So he automatically went into COVID protocols in quarantine. He was cleared today prior to game number one. They put him on a private plane, which you have to do. He cannot fly commercial. You must stay in the COVID protocol. So he flew a private jet into town, arrived uh, Monday afternoon, and was on the ice for warm-up, but he was scratched. And I heard Luke Richardson's comments after the game that because he hadn't skated in a few days, hadn't been with his teammates in a few days, had this you know, concern about whether he had COVID or not and, uh, you know, what it was going to do to the team and everything. They just felt they didn't want to put him in the lineup. uh, So they just wanted to get him out on the ice to kind of get him back feeling, you know, get the blood flowing in Luke Richardson's words. So he did not play in game number one, which means you can bet he's going to play game number two. So what does that do to the series? He's one of their top penalty kill guys. He scored some pretty big goals for Montreal in this postseason. So that's why I will caution you not to make 
rash judgments, just as we you didn't want to make too many rash judgments after the game one loss to the Islanders. Don't make too many rash judgments after game one of a win because things are going to be different. It's If this is the feel-out game, now both teams have seen each other in person. They understand how the others work. I just think eventually the depth of the Lightning is going to take this series over, especially if Montreal is going to lean on their top 4D as much as they did tonight. I think their bottom pair only played about 10, 11 minutes in the game. Now they were chasing it for most of it. But, um, you know, there will be adjustments made. So don't, don't get too ahead of yourself based on this one game. We'll reconvene on Wednesday after game number two, and we'll have that conversation to see where things stand then. All right, don't forget about our promo code with smackapparel.com. They've been kind enough to give us a special code for listeners of this podcast to use. Use BOLTS21, B-O-L-T-S-21. Get any of their apparel, not just the Lightning-affiliated stuff, uh, anything. Uh, 21% off your entire order at uh, smackapparel.com. Go check out their inventory. They have some great products, uh, some fun products across the the sports world and and, and every – league and sport that you want to explore they have something there for you so check them out again the code is bolts 21 if you haven't used it before they help sponsor this uh, so help pay them back for what they're able to help us provide right here on this podcast all right again game number two is on wednesday at 8 p.m uh, I'll be back with another post-game recap right here on the Lightning po- uh, LightningInsider.com podcast. Make sure you rate, make sure you review, subscribe, share this podcast, let your friends know it's out there. It means so much to me when you're able to do that. So if you can help, I really appreciate it. So until after game number two, we'll talk then. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.